My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 136. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to Birthday Week. Mine. Getting ready to roll over another digit. So I'm going to try not to think about that and just keep being positive. What choice do I have? Just roll with it, right? Okay, today we're going to be talking about several different things. One are the most important retail automotive trends to monitor for 2024. Now, uh, if you listen to this podcast radio show, you don't have to monitor it. I'll monitor it for you. You just have to listen. So here's what NADA, National Auto Dealers Association, says that are the key takeaways from a most recent get-together of the brains, the people who look at the industry, who analyze the auto industry, and who take the information from all the data points. They like, to, they like that term, data points. And uh, they make predictions. So here, here are the key takeaways. Number one, the industry will lose about 200,000 units of production this year. However, the retail automotive sector will continue to see inventory levels rise. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens because inventories have greatly improved and a lot of dealers have a lot of cars. I have a lot of cars at my two dealerships. So uh, we are in position for a pretty strong November and a really strong December. December's weird, though. December, you know, starts off slowly and then stops around Christmas. And then that week between Christmas and New Year's, it goes crazy. Because a lot of people are trying to buy vehicles for their businesses, and they want to take advantage of the IRS depreciation laws that allow them to write off a a purchase of a vehicle, certain types of vehicles. It depends on the weight. Mostly heavy-duty trucks, uh, expeditions qualify, big Suburbans and stuff. But they can write those off 100% for their business in one year. So if they had a really good year and they don't want to pay taxes, then they just write it off, and that reduces their taxes by a significant amount. So a lot of companies are doing that. Interest rates will continue to challenge both consumers and business owners. They're not really going to go up. That's the prediction because the Federal Reserve is, well, at least at their last meeting, they opted to hold interest rates for this foreseeable future. They will not go down, though. So we're going to see pretty high Consumer borrowing rates, uh, credit cards, and so forth, that puts a puts a pinch on the family, especially if they've uh, racked up a lot of credit card debt. So we talked about that in the last episode, about how important it is to not do that because the interest rates are so high, you know, 25 to 32%. You know, it's regulated in a lot of states. I, I can't remember what the max is in Tennessee. I think it's over 30%, though. Isn't that crazy? So just don't do that. What else? Oh, yeah, the strike has had an impact, mostly on fleet sales, though. Fleet sales began the year really strong. What are fleet sales? Those are sales to, like, Amazon, Federal Express, UPS companies, you know, especially big companies, like rental car companies as well. But the strike had the biggest impact on them and so because they buy in such volume, and when, they, when that gets interrupted, uh, it's a big deal. Also, electric vehicle inventory has skyrocketed. Uh, Unfortunately, high prices and interest rates are making it difficult for the retail automotive sector to attract customers to electric vehicles. So to boost demand, automakers will need to address certain obstacles to EV adoption. 
range anxiety, and charging accessibility. Well, Ford is trying to take care of the charging situation. I've mentioned this on my show. Every Ford dealer, well, every Ford dealer had the opportunity to sign up for Ford's EV program. And if they did, then they were required to put a supercharger, a level three charger on their lot that's accessible to consumers. In addition to a lot of level two chargers and a lot of infrastructure changes internally in the dealership so that we could handle the additional business. The question is, is that business going to come? You know, I talked a few weeks ago about the decision to buy an electric vehicle or not to buy is based on two things, primarily. It's a political decision for a lot of people. They're just highly offended about what they have read and heard the uh, Biden administration and how they are pushing uh, the industry, basically, and also uh, regulations on the American public that will, well, you know, they just as soon eliminate the internal combustion engine. Regardless of the consequences to that, they don't think about that part of it. I was talking to a buddy of mine. We were riding, actually riding to, to Johnson City yesterday in my electric Aria. It's a Nissan. And I love the thing. I mean, it is fantastical. But I understand the obstacles. And uh, I was talking to Mark, and Mark said, you know, Lenny, I would buy one of these because it it's fine. I mean, we never go out of the Tri-City. If we go on a trip, we take my truck. Same as me. I take my F-150. But when it comes to around town use or, you know, as long as I'm driving less than 300 miles, the electric vehicle is a practical thing to buy, especially with the big rebates they have on them right now, $7,500 on an F-150 Lightning. And then with the incentives that are coming, uh, after the first of the year, you'll be able to get your your federal rebate of $7,500. As long as the vehicle sells for less than $80,000, you'll be able to get an additional $7,500 from the government, and you won't have to use it as a tax credit on your when you fill out your taxes, you'll be able to get it at the dealership. The dealership will actually be able to write you a check for $7,500, or you'll be able to apply it as down payment. So that works. So is it practical for you? That's that's the decision that you need to make. You, you, you need to set aside the political thing, because the way Lenny Lawson looks at it, the car guru, it's just another form of propulsion you know, it's not free. The electricity is not free. It's a lot cheaper. And does it create as much greenhouse gas to produce the electricity to fill up your vehicle with electrons as it does to fill it up with, you know, gasoline and, and with the stuff that's coming out the tailpipe? I don't know. I'd have to Google that. But all I do know is that they drive wonderfully. They're quiet I love being able to pull into the the uh, garage. My wife doesn't like that, though, because it's supposed to be her space. But pull into the garage and plug it in, and just when I come back in the morning, it's fully charged. Don't have to worry about gasoline. So I do like that aspect of it. So I don't know. I'll see how it goes. It's just a one-year lease. I wish you could lease one for one year. Would you do that? If you had some extra liquidity, you could handle an extra, let's say, $350, $400 a month. Would you lease an electric vehicle for one year just to see what it's like? I think a lot of people would. I think they would try it out. 
see what it's like. Now, you know, I, I think the best way to get a lease vehicle, as I've said before, is to lease it because that that eliminates the risk of depreciation for you. You're paying for the depreciation every time you make a lease payment. But if it's a reasonable payment, it's le- let's say it's less than what your car payment would have been if you lease an electric vehicle. At least you don't have any gas to buy. I mean, it could really make a positive impact on somebody's budget in the month. So it's definitely worth thinking about, worth considering. See if there's any other news worth talking about. No, not really. I'll take my first break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. Speaking of buying an electric vehicle, we sold one on the internet. Well, I did. Uh, We got this internet lead from a gentleman in, where is he? Lake Mary, Florida. And he found a platinum F-150 Lightning, full electric, on my lot in the color that he wanted. So he sent us an internet inquiry, and it was turned over to me because I like to handle the electric vehicles being sold here. And so he wanted a price on it. Well, if he had tried to buy this Lightning about a year ago, he would have had to pay uh, at least MSRP for it. But see, now it's different. The market has changed. These things are being discounted heavily. So not only am I discounting it, uh, which I did to the tune of about $6,000, he got a $7,500 rebate from Ford. So, you know, we're talking over thirteen, almost $14,000 in discounts right off the top. It's pretty good. And so he wanted to, to buy this thing, and I was just looking at some of the, the things on the window sticker. It says here that he will save, over a five-year period, according to Ford, uh, he will save $2,750 in fuel cost over five years. Now, how in the world do they calculate that? Well, according to this window sticker, they use something called MPGE, with a little E there. Uh, So on most new vehicles, it will tell you what the estimated uh, city and highway fuel economy is. Like on my F-150, I think it's, well, my hybrid that I was driving, uh, it was 24 highway and 24 city. I've never gotten that. I typically get about 21 around town and about 22, 23 at most on the highway, probably because I'm driving too fast. So what is MPG anyway? Well, it's an abbreviation that stands for miles per gallon of gasoline equivalent. And it measures the fuel efficiency of vehicles that run on non-liquid fuels, such as hybrid or electric vehicles. These fuels, such as uh, compressed natural gas vehicles or or electric vehicles, I'm sorry, are rated in MPGE as opposed to the standard miles per gallon. So it's trying to give you a comparison that's fair. You know, because a lot of people think, well, you know, if you drive an electric vehicle, it's free. Well, it's not free. You've got to pay for every kilowatt hour of juice that you put into your electric vehicle. So what does it say the fuel economy is combined on the city and highway for this F-150 Lightning? Well, it says that it's 66 MPGE. So that's 73 on the highway. I'm sorry, 73 in the city and 60 on the highway. And it says that it will use 51 kilowatt hours of electricity per 100 miles. Isn't that enlightening? You know, I was looking at the difference, 73 versus 60 on the highway. Uh, Why does it get better in the city? Do you know? It's because of the use of brakes. 
because when you brake on an electric vehicle, it recharges the battery. Um, it's pretty neat technology. It does it on my hybrid as well. It throws electricity back into the battery with something they call regenerative braking. Also, they acknowledge on this window sticker that it's not free. The annual fuel cost is estimated on the F-150 Lightning to be $1,050. Now, you know, when I say fuel, I'm talking electricity cost, okay? And a lot of that depends on when you charge, the time of day. If you charge overnight, it doesn't cost as much. If you charge during the daytime, it costs more because of the peak electricity usage, especially when it's really, really cold or it's really, really hot and people are using their air conditioners a lot. So just looking at this, it doesn't look like you're going to save all that much buying an electric vehicle. I mean, electric F-150 Lightning. You know, you got to keep in mind, this is a full-size, very heavy truck that can tow 10,000 pounds. So what are you going to save in terms of total out-of-pocket costs for fuel versus electricity? Looks like about $600, $500 to $600 a year. Uh, you know, I, yeah, you have a whole lot of power, and it's really smooth and quiet and stuff like that, but I don't know that that would be worth it. To me, because of the infrastructure, I'm just being totally brutally honest and looking at this from a consumer standpoint. Now, when you get to a really efficient electric vehicle like the Nissan Aria or the Ford uh, Mach-E, the ones with extended range batteries, you'll save probably two to three times that much per year. So that's when it becomes interesting. So we shall see how this goes. All right, what else is on the plate? Oh, yeah. I don't listen to the radio very much. My habits have changed. Have yours? Have your listening habits in your car changed? I listen to podcasts a lot. And uh, that comes through my iPhone. I do listen to my own music that I have downloaded on my iPhone. And the other thing that I listen to, as if you cared, is satellite radio. Now, has all of that stuff changed your listening habits? as far as what you listen to. Obviously, if you're listening to this radio show on the local talk radio, then you're still listening to the radio. I don't, but I did on a trip, uh, probably a 60-mile round trip yesterday. I listened to the radio. And I, switched, I was switching between the different uh, types of stations, like one was a uh, a rock station, one was a soft rock station, the other was country. Because I didn't really want to listen to the music, I was listening for car dealer commercials. And boy, did I hear them. And I'm hearing the same worn-out, deceptive come-ons that I've been hearing my entire career in the car business. Uh, except they're worse now, and they are uh, outrageously exaggerated let's say. In addition, at the end of any type of a pricing thing on a radio, you're supposed to hear a disclaimer. On the radio, it sounds like this. Now, in a newspaper ad or on television, that would be the mouse print, the itty-bitty print that nobody can really read without a magnifying glass. Uh, that's, one of, that's where one of my favorite phrases comes about. What the large print giveth, the fine print taketh away. For example, if they say they're going to pay you $10,000 over book value for your trade-in, that's not true. They can't. 
they don't have that much margin in the new vehicle. The only place that additional trade allowance can come from is from the markup that's in the vehicle that you're buying. So one of the ways that dealers improve their position as far as markup is concerned is they use a an addendum or a supplemental window sticker. It's the sticker beside the sticker. You know, the factory sticker may say the selling price is 52000 That extra sticker adds about two or 3000 to that. That gives them extra margin. But even on the... Uh, the original MSRP, most dealers have anywhere between 5 to 7% markup. So you do the math. Can they give you $10,000 over book value for your trade or $8,000 or even $5,000 over book value? No, they can't. And so what dealers do is they play games with the numbers. They'll, they'll throw in the factory rebate and incentives as part of your trade allowance. I mean, if you ask them, where are you getting that number? I mean, how are you giving me 10000 Well, uh, we've got this rebate and this. Well, that's a rebate. That's different. Well, we're just throwing it in. That's what we said that in our advertisement. No, you didn't. You know, that wasn't a part of your advertisement. Matter of fact, your advertisement didn't say anything that you were getting money from anywhere else that you were just giving me $8,000 over book value for my trade-in. So I want that. Well, we can't do that. Why can't you do that? Because we said up to. What do you mean up to? Uh, means that we'll give you up to $8,000 over book value for your trade. So the advertisement said, all you heard was $8,000 over book value for your trade. You didn't hear up to. So when you get there and they present numbers and they, they show you um, book value for your trade, well, what was wrong with my car? Well, you know, you had your tires were worn out. You had a busted windshield. Your seats are dirty. You know, you've got, you haven't had a brake job in a long time. So they find reasons to, to mark all that down. And when it's all said and done, what are they going to try to convert you to? That's right, the monthly payment. Mr. Customer, I, I know that you, you're not happy with the trade-in, but um, if, if we can get it to three fifty dollars a month, can we do business? That's the way the game is played at a lot of dealerships. Not at your legit stores. The legit stores don't say they're going to give you that much overbook value for your trade. And I'm here, and that's all I heard coming down uh, Highway 11E, listening to car dealer ads. That and monthly payments like on a thirty dollars or $40,000 car at uh, $299 a month. Yeah, you can get $299 a month. And I listened real co closely to the disclaimer at the end of that one. It's, and it was hard. I mean, I had to really put my listening ears on. It said you had to pay $7,500 down to get your payment to $299 a month. But you didn't really hear that. That was part of the, you know, the disclaimer at the end that you can't hear or can't understand. So you go into the dealership. Well, yeah, where's that car I can buy for $299 a month? Um, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Because many times the salespeople are clueless as to what the dealer is saying in his advertising. And that's partly by design. You know, if they can just frustrate you with confusion, then uh, the likelihood of them selling you a car, well, not maybe not you, but a lot of people just fall right into that. And, um, you know, so they love the balloons, they love the free hot dogs, and they love a low payment. And they have no clue what they're paying for the vehicle. And it's sad. Okay, I'll take my last break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. 
Well, I found out something interesting the other day. They pulled one over on the Guru. Yeah, I bought this new Porsche 911. And I found out that the tires that are on that vehicle are only good above 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So if I'm going to drive that car any during the cold months, like if it's below 40, it's not safe. They get too hard. They're summer-only tires. Do you have summer-only tires on your car? Probably not. If you have all-season tires, you don't have to worry about it. You know, if it says all-season on the side, then it's not a problem. And most cars that are sold at new car dealerships today uh, have some type of all-weather tire. But if you are driving a sports car, you know, maybe a Camaro or a Mustang, or, you know, some sporty Toyota or Honda, something like that, you better check. You better check and make sure they're not summer-only tires. Because if I want to drive that vehicle during the winter, I've got to go buy another set of tires. Do you know how much a set of tires for that car is? You don't want to know. I'd be too embarrassed to tell you. Pretty expensive, though. So watch out for that. You never know what you're going to run into until the car guru tells you about it. So thanks for listening to this edition. Call me, 423-552-2020, if I can help you in any way, or send me a text, or send an email to LennyLawson2020 at gmail.com, and I'll see you next time.